This podcast brought to you by ACES, the American Society of Information Science and Technology, the Society for Information Professionals, by the IA Summit, the premier gathering place for information architects and other user experience professionals, by Boxes and Arrows. Visit boxesnarrows.com slash about slash participate to be a part of your peer-written journal. And special thanks to Axure and Morin for sponsoring Boxes and Arrows, as well as the many other sponsors of the IA Summit. Senior Manager at REI.com, Samantha Starmer, and Principal Gary Carlson of Gary Carlson Consulting, share a case study where the client and consultant discuss how they identified a business case and ROI for an enterprise information architecture project that led to significant money and resource commitments. Samantha and Gary explain how they were able to evangelize horizontally and vertically, present their case to executives, and bring a true business perspective to an information architecture project that enabled widespread cross-divisional support. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. Hi, I'm Samantha. Um, I've been doing web stuff for about 11 years. Uh, I started at, at Amazon, which was a really fun and amazing education, for sure. I uh, worked at a tiny startup where I met Gary over here and went to Microsoft. And now I'm at REI, uh, Recreational Equipment Incorporated. Incorporated. For those of you who don't know them, uh, outdoor. You can't. Oh, you can't? It seems to be working. Uh, is that it? No. I'll just hold it. Is that better? There we go. Sorry about that. Um, so anyway, now I'm at REI, uh, outdoor uh, retailer. Um, big, pretty big in the top 100 retailers in the U.S. Um, so I tend to focus on uh, making the business case and working um, on convincing executives to give me money uh, for things like user experience and information architecture and such, uh, and then try to hire people better than me to actually do the work. That's kind of my sneaky little trick. Um, and I've been pretty lucky at getting funded. Uh, but, you know, I've learned some hard, uh, hard things along the way that, you know, we can try and pass on to all of you to, to help when you're trying to get funded for these kinds of things. So I'm Gary. Is this working? So I've been working um, about 20 years. I've done a lot of product management for large and small companies, from Microsoft to startups. Um, And about the past 10 years have really been spent on what I'm dubbing sort of information infrastructure projects. Search, content management, knowledge management, um, just getting information to people in different ways types of projects. Um, and about a year ago, I started, left my last company and just started out on my own doing consulting. So setting the stage, uh, my company is over 70 years old, and the website has been around since 1996, um, which is, you know, those are amazing things for a brand, but um, if any of you have a 100-plus-year-old house like I do, uh, you'll know that, you know, while an old house um, or an old site uh, can have character and a lot of kind of fun nooks and crannies in it. It can also sometimes not be uh, the most flexible or usable place to be. Um, It's a really well-known company for being, um, you know, good work-life balance, an amazing culture. Uh, It's always on, you know, best companies to work for lists. Uh, And so we have these amazing people who've been there for 30 years. I mean, it's 
the tenure um, at this company is huge. And so, you know, for example, my, um, my current manager has been at ARIA basically his entire career, um, so before the internet. And so there's a lot of people working in IT, working in marketing, working in online, who've never worked um, at another company, never seen how other places do it. Um, and I think that that really shapes uh, how you have to go about uh, this kind of work when people don't necessarily know um, how, how other companies do things, but they know everything um, about their own company and the history and how to be successful there. Thanks. Uh, one thing that makes REI really different from a lot of other retailers is we have this strong focus on expertise and we have, um, for example, on our product pages, you know, we have a lot of information, but what may not be totally obvious is that much of this information is handcrafted by the type of people who've been rock climbing for 15 years and every single weekend they, they go out and they rock climb or they backcountry ski or they kayak. Um, except for those weekends when they go off and you know clean a, a river or do some sort of other stewardship event, so we've got this amazing wealth of people who actually you know write um, information about the product, uh, and you know certainly they use information that the vendors provide, but they also you know get the product in their hand, look at it, try it on, use it, and infuse the information on the website with that. So it's it's an absolutely a core company asset. And one of the interesting things about when I walked into REI was that it being a brick and mortar store originally and being around so long is that there's a lot of value there and it's just a lot of emotional attachment to the fact that they sell really high quality products in their stores. Um, and the mind shift that we're working on right now is the fact that when someone walks into a store, they get to pick something up, they get to touch it, they get to put it on, they get to really see what it is. When you're on the website, what we're selling is information. We're not selling, the, I mean, we're using the information to sell those products. We're not using the products to sell those products. And that's been a really interesting mind shift for people to realize that the website is about information, whereas the brick and mortar stores, which, they, which are very profitable and very, really support the brand, are about getting the products to the people. And on the website, it's about getting product information to the people. And for a company that's been around that long, where there's so much, you know, just so much infrastructure and thought and emotion around their store, the retail stores, it's made for some interesting challenges. Well, right, exactly. And so we've, you know, done a lot of really great um, user experience and usability work, and we have amazingly strong designers and, and people who are great at all this. Um, but some of the core information infrastructure, some of the old house qualities of, of our systems have made it really difficult to maximize this valuable asset that we have. Um, so with these homegrown systems, they're just not necessarily scaling the way we need them to. Uh, like many sites, we have organic taxonomies that have just kind of grown up and, and don't necessarily talk to each other and have... Uh, you know, people don't even necessarily know that, that it is a taxonomy um, or, or that it should relate to other things. And we've got information that's stored in uh, multiple disparate systems. So people, you know, have had people, even the people who have been there forever, I mean, they, they know that, that we've got missed opportunities here. They know that 
we could be doing a better job with findability and discoverability. Um, and in order to really maximize the brand and the expertise, that uh, something needed to change. Um, but the, the problem was is people didn't necessarily know what to do, how to do it, where to start. Um, information management isn't necessarily uh, a sexy topic that um, you can convince people to spend money on. And if you even know how to, how to talk about it. And so, you know, for a few hard, slow months when I started there, it was, you know, I was kind of trying to convince people that this is what we needed and it was really going to deliver something. Um, but then I got really lucky because we, uh, we use an external vendor uh, for search and for merchandising the site. Um, basically, it's basically search and browse. And, you know, we've spent quite a bit of money to use them. And we invited them to come in to talk about an upgrade so we could start using all of their cool new features in their new merchandising system. And the first thing they said to us when we said, okay, so, you know, how can we maximize uh, our use of you better? The first thing they said was, well, who's your taxonomist? And that was just this shining moment for me because suddenly all these things that I'd been talking about for months and months and months, you know, people's eyes got wide open. They're like, oh, that's, that's what she was talking about. And suddenly taxonomy got sexy. It was like this amazing, beautiful moment. Which leads me back to Gary. Um, I knew that we needed uh, some independent perspective to come in. Uh, someone who had a lot of industry experience, had worked with a lot of different companies. Uh, we didn't want to reinvent the wheel, certainly. We knew that we needed someone who could come in and focus on this work, who could really treat it as their day job for a while. And, you know, as, as many of you, um, internal, external, probably know, sometimes it helps just to bring in someone from the outside, to say what you've been saying all along, to say even what um, non-UXIA people have been saying all along, but sometimes just, you know, bringing someone in to, to validate those things uh, can finally get you heard. So did some time uh, selling this upwards to executives because I had to get some money. This wasn't a project that had been in our schedule. It wasn't a project that had been in our plan to even look at any of this infrastructure. Uh, we had planned to do this search upgrade and that was it. Uh, so it took quite a bit of convincing. Um, and tomorrow I have a session, a shameless plug here, on uh, selling, selling to, to hippos. Uh, and you'll, you'll hear what those are tomorrow, but they're, they're a critical piece of being able uh, to successfully sell this kind of work. Um, but was able to do it, and I think, you know, everything just kind of coalesced. I mean, before I got to the company, people were talking about, gosh, it'd be better, it would be great if we could, you know, find the products better, it would be great if search worked better, it would be great if we could do related items better. The vendor came in, said the same thing, I'd been saying the same thing. It was just this tipping point which got us to be able to bring in someone to really do a project. So for the project goals, um, we needed as-is documentation of current content, current functionality. Uh, we needed gap analysis, metadata functionality. We needed to collaborate with someone to help us decide what the actionable recommendations and next steps were. And uh, we really needed to, to provide the business case for whether to, to even continue doing information management uh, and sort of information uh, infrastructure work. And we, we needed to talk about it from an, uh, a top-line perspective, from an SEO perspective, from a brand health perspective. 
from a conversion perspective, from a sales perspective. We needed to speak the language that really meant something to the executives so that we could really start to talk about enterprise information architecture, which is often a big, huge, scary topic for people. Uh, fundamentally, we knew what we needed to have done, but we hadn't been able to package it all up in such a way to even know where to begin. And I had to say, shazam, to bring in Gary. So we, I was brought in for the project, and there was a number of set deliverables. And the one I'm going to focus on here, because I believe that it really helped us focus on what we were doing and also allow this project to move on to the next phase was the business case that we worked on. And one of the things I'm going to talk about a little bit, I'm going to get to the business case in a minute, but I just want to define a couple terms. Um, and so one of the things I'm going to talk about is enterprise IA, or what I'm going to also call information infrastructure. And I know there's also, you know, we can, we can spend the rest of the day arguing about definitions. Uh, but for the purpose of this presentation, I'm going to define Enterprise IA as projects that work with information that span multiple systems or that's, that where the information is shared, managed, or governed across different business units um, and is used by business users as well as technical users. As well as, you know, front-end customers. As well as front-end customers. So that's what I'm looking at when I'm talking about this. And whether, you know, and for the purposes of this conversation. Uh, the other thing about Enterprise IA is you often find, out, find yourself talking about taxonomies and schemas as much as you talk about wireframes. So those will also be part of what we're doing. When I'm talking about an enterprise, generally I'm going to talk about a large organization with multiple business units, generally coalesced around a common vision or a common mission. And those could be, you know, it could be a big for-profit company, it could be a non-profit, it could be government, it could be a consortia of companies working together for something. So that's what I'm talking, that's what I'm going to talk about. And in these projects that we've worked on, generally a lot of the issues that come up is the political issues of crossing uh, business units. Because it's often the case that the business units have goals or missions that are aligned with the enterprise, but don't always work, play nicely with each other. The security, you know, the team looking at internet at, uh, customer security is often going to, you know, be in conflict with the team working on, you know, personalization on the website or something like that. So that's, that's another, that's a big part of what we're doing is addressing that. So what is a business case that we put up? And really, we focused on creating a very short one to two page document that was going to address, address this project. We sort of knew what we needed to do. And for this, we really looked maniacally at each one of these sections, which include what's the problem or the, what's the, problem or the opportunity that's available to us? What's the cost of this? In other words, how much is this costing us in terms of uh, operational costs or what's it costing us in terms of missed revenue? What's the solution for this? And then what's the approach? And in this presentation, we're really going to focus on a couple of these, talk about them in the abstract, and then also talk about some of the particulars that we ran into at REI. So we've got some good um, examples there. And we do have handouts where we're going to sort of talk. So we'll have handouts that include sort of little descriptions of each of these for folks who want them at the end. 
Oh, and I should say, too, that a big part of the business case is really something, one of the goals of it is to be able to ha take this thing and say, I can give this to an executive, and they're going to understand exactly why we're asking them for, for money. I can bring this to a DBA, and that person's going to understand exactly why we're asking them to change the database schema. I can bring this to a business owner, and they're going to say, oh, thankful, finally, we can do what we wanted to do here. I can bring this to the CFO, and he, said, he, can say, he or she can say, great, you can make more money. <laughs> I'm all in. Um, so the idea is that this is something that can span an organization, and when you go into a meeting with a new group, you can put it on the table, and you can get them to see how what you're asking them to do aligns with the enterprise. And it's a great way for reducing, not eliminating, but at least reducing some of the political uh, roadmap uh, landmines that are going to be in a project. So I'm not going to talk about all these, but when we put together the business case, we looked at a wide range of sources. And, and this is on the handout as well, so don't worry about it. But probably the most important source that we used in this project was looking at the market and customer research that REI already had. <clears throat> so we had, there were customer surveys. There were surveys done on the website. There was the uh, marketing plan. <clears throat> and we were able to use the, go to these and, and say, Customers have reported, customers who want to buy products have reported that they have a hard time finding the products they're looking for. <clears throat> what a better thing to start a project with, especially an information management project where you're trying to get products to a website to a customer. Um, and also, the people in the marketing department were just pleased as punch that someone was reading their marketing reports. Um, so it really got buy-in from them as well. Um, another really important source here was the internal expertise of the employees. I went in there as a consultant thinking, oh, I'm going to come up with all these great ideas and do blah, 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 blah. Well, at the end of the day, there wasn't one recommendation that didn't come from an REI employee. Um, and there wasn't one that just, you know, I sort of pulled out of the air. Um, which was hard at first for me, but then I realized really what I was doing was bringing these things together and putting them into this business case. REI had known they needed to do these things for a long time, but it was my job to say, hey, okay, here's all these disparate things. We're going to put them together in a package. Um, and those are probably the two most important sources for this project. <clears throat> Certainly working with IT to get them on board at the beginning of the project rather than the middle of the end of the project um, was also a really big part of just building trust there. So for the problem statement, we're really going to focus on things that align, to <clears throat> align with the company's mission statement. Anytime you can align with revenue, that's great, right? I mean, <laughs> who does, you know, at least for a for-profit company. Brand health can be a great one, especially because it will often get a lot of buy-in with the marketing department. And if you can show how you can help the marketing department improve brand health, <clears throat> that's going to help your project move forward um, very nicely. Operational efficiency is in there. Um, if I've got revenue or brand, I'm not going to talk a lot about operational efficiency because uh, revenue or brand are going to win the day a lot more than a strong play with operational efficiency. Uh, often there's ties to business intelligence and reporting, um, or there are often other mission or vision-driven priorities. So if you're a nonprofit, if you're a government agency, it's really important to go to their mission statement and say, this is what you said you want to do. Let's take a look at some particulars here. Um, the problem statement should not mention technology, taxonomies, wireframes, databases, content types. You know, your CEO does not care about those, and if he, hopefully. <laughs> um, so that's the problem statement. 
So uh, just a question for the group here. How many people have ever put, worked on a project where you had direct, you know, a direct line between what you're doing and say business intelligence or reporting goals? We've had those in there. Great. Couple, that's great. How many have had projects that had a direct line to brand? Good. And it's been easy, and I'm assuming we've all worked on things based on revenue. <coughs> all right. <coughs> so people understand where I'm going at with this one. So at REI, we, we focused on revenue and brand health. Uh, operate, fortunately for us, everything we wanted to do, all the infrastructure work that we needed to do to get there, was right in, you know, all, was right in alignment with um, operational efficiency. Killing old dead systems, getting rid of spreadsheets that were providing live data. Um, and so we had the operational efficiency. We were able to put it in things, but we didn't have to lead with it. So for brand health, uh, again, we went to the marketing studies, we went to the marketing goals, uh, <clears throat> we just also went to industry best practices <clears throat> of what we need to do. And fortunately for REI, a big part of their brand is providing expertise to their customers. As, as Samantha said, we had, they had tons of inf information, but we weren't <clears throat> able to identify particular places where they were having a hard time getting that information to the customer in the right context. And at that point, it was very easy to say how this was impacting brand. <clears throat> um, and what we found was a lot of the goals, a lot of the recommendations we came up with, that REI was pretty much up against the wall. You know, that 100-year-old Victorian, we couldn't build any more on that Victorian because the foundation was so bad. We had to fix the foundation before we could put in the new windows or a new roof. Um, so a lot of what the recommendations were infrastructure ones, but again, the rec it was about you know, replacing the system, buying a taxonomy tool so that we could do this, so that we could impact brand. <clears throat> On the revenue front, uh, this was, you know, I've never had such an, this was a great day when we found this. But some of the, you know, when we looked at the reports and looked at what REI wanted to do, it was just clear that we could, we could draw a direct map between information infrastructure and particular points in the sales funnel. So we didn't have to say things like, well, if you do this, we might increase things by 20%, blah, 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 blah. We're able to say, you know, X percentage of customers were not getting to product pages who were looking for product pages. Here's five ways that we can improve the way that people will get to product pages, and here's the direct impact it will have on the sales funnel. And the nice thing is we're able to say, if we improve this one part of the sales funnel <clears throat> by 1%, we're going to have a multi-million dollar return on investment. Now, ROI statements are always kind of, you know, shifty things, and there's always a bit of a black art around coming up with them. But uh, this was probably the clearest ROI statement I'd ever been able to put together. Um, and because we talked to so many groups up front, we had, you know, there was a lot of buy-in. You know, I, even, I was look, went around the organization looking for people to tell me why it was wrong, because it, was, it just seemed too, too easy. And everyone agreed with us, so that was a good thing. For the cost part of the um, business case, the big thing here is that it's got to be measurable. I really focused on making sure that whatever claims we made, ever, whatever recommendations we made, that we had ways of measuring it. Either you know, revenue based on people type clicking on these types of links which didn't exist before, 
sometimes measurement was being able to get rid of these three systems or being able to increase the speed in which we could respond to external events and get information out to the website. So everything had a very, at least one or two, if not three, direct measurable events tied to a recommendation. Um, and that was just huge because it just, all of a sudden, people say, oh wow, you want to do that and you're going to put your butt on the line so this is how it's going to work. That, that makes sense. Uh, how many people saw Eric's presentation earlier today? You know, Eric was talking about talking the language of the company and, you know, he's a little bit more strategic than this presentation is. But this is the language of an organization. You know, if you're an executive or CFO, you want to know what you're going to do, what we're going to get out of it, and how we're going to measure it. And if you can tell people those things, all of a sudden they're going to feel like you're on their side. And, and in our case, the executives actually do talk about ROI. Uh, so, I mean, I think I, I, Eric's points were awesome around, you know, that that's not necessarily what people care for. I think it just depends on the organization. In our organization, they did actually ask for that. So, um, so anyways, that's what, you know, this is, you know, this is a great way of tying IA speak into business speak. And you don't have to get an MBA to talk this way. You know, we can talk about relationships between content but draw a really nice path to that, to brand, to revenue, or customer satisfaction. So for the cost of this, the opportunity cost of these, um, I think I'm just going to talk to the example here. You guys can read this. Read this. So actually, this is the example I just gave. You know, we had a part of the sales, the sales funnel is obviously, it's an online thing. We know exactly who's going where, what dropout rates are. We were able to point to exactly one part of the funnel, which correlated to exactly some of the, a bunch of the information coming out of the marketing reports and showing, you know, so we knew that people were dropping out of the funnel. The marketing reports told us why. And we were able to point uh, recommendations, you know, multiple recommendations that would get people to stay engaged. And again, we didn't make some crazy things like, well, if you increase this by 20%, you know, we were, all we had to show is one or two percent increase in this particular part of the sales funnel. So all of a sudden people get that. Um, and that was, you know, that was one of the, that's probably, you know, obviously a very clear example. Um, and I will say it took us about three or four weeks, not full-time work, but me and the business analyst I was working with, to really go through those numbers and come up with something that we felt we could defend within the organization. So it's not an easy task, um, but I believe that we were well paid, you know, being that rigorous um, really paid off for us. So I'm going to move a little more quickly. On brand, uh, again, frustrating because people had a hard time getting to the products they wanted to get to. Again, all of this came, a lot of this just came down to managing the information that, was, that REI already had, drawing relationships to it, and getting it to the website easily. Um, and again, what we really found out was that REI was up against the wall. They had the 100-year-old Victorian. It was really pretty. You know, people took pictures of it. People could stop by for tea, but when the new, they needed a new roof or something like that, this, the foundation just wasn't going to support the additional weight. They had gone as far as they could go. And uh, we were able to show that directly. So the approach part of the business case is really, um, I don't need to walk, go through this, but really 
this is a high level. Someone, you're in the elevator, someone says, all right, so I buy, I buy your argument, I've got to do these things, what are we going to do? So we're gonna, this, the approach is going to be like, we're going to impact site design, we're going to look at, we're going to replace some of our IT infrastructure, and we're going to, um, you know, look at these impact, and we're all, as we're making these recommendations, we're also going to measure how those are going to impact the business. It's great, I want to replace my entire infrastructure, but that means I'm down for two years and it's going to cost $50 billion, you know, and a team of IBM consultants. So um, maybe that's not the right path to take. So this is what the approach section is about. Um, and this is a good place to mention the types of key performance indicators. What's the types of things we're going to measure? Again, we're not going to get, we don't have to get into the details yet. This is your 30-second elevator pitch. Um, but we can say, oh, yeah, we're going to be measuring revenue based on this. We're going to be measuring, you know, the cost of ownership for our IT infrastructure. And that's it for the approach section. And then the solutions part of the business case. Uh, is really, this is where we get into nuts and bolts. This could just be the recommendations document. Um, or you can tie it into the business case document that you write itself. But really, we're going to look at a lot of the nuts and bolts. What's the staffing required? How are we going to govern this new infrastructure? Hardware, software required? And a loose timeline, or level of effort for the project. And again, once you have those four things together, it can really, and you can get, if you can get it down to a page and a half, two pages, you've got something that's really powerful. And if it's not really powerful, and people aren't buying into it, that means you probably don't have a good business case, which is really good information as well, because then you can say, all right, let's move on or figure out how to refine this. Um, I think, what's, what's the time? 15 minutes? Okay. So for the recommendations, um, just real quick, we looked at ways of uh, exposing REI's expertise on their website by building further relationships between their content, by making it easier for people to navigate to products, um, by making it easier to manage the data internally and better take advantage of their product information team, the folks who are experts in the gear, but who spent a lot of their time cutting and pasting information. That's not what they needed those folks for. Any folk, REI is about high quality gear and high quality information about that gear. And we had the high quality information, but you know, folks were cutting and pasting rather than really telling a story about it. So, and again, we were able to come up with some very nice success metrics. We were able to point to revenue, uh, able to, uh, a really important one for us, uh, which didn't seem obvious at first, but the reduced involvement of developer and production in getting information to the site. Business owners own the, biz own the information. You know, they shouldn't have to go to IT or production every time they want to change the information on a page or add a new type of relationship or something like that. Obviously, some of that stuff needs to be needs requirements. But we wanted to expand the area, we wanted to expand the degrees of freedom that the business owners had to express REI's expertise on the website. And there were direct ways of measuring that. Um, you know, and assuming REI was going to continue on with their marketing reports, marketing surveys, we'd be able to measure the results that way as well. Um. So we did all this work and then what? Um, what do you do with it all? 
Well, uh, we had to kind of shop around the business case, and I was extremely fortunate to have uh, a manager who um, who got it um, after I spent you know time uh, <coughs> explaining it to her, and she was great about setting up time for me and for Gary, uh, depending on the circumstances and the audience to, to come and to, and talk about what we're doing and why we want to do it, and you know of course we didn't go to the marketing executives and talk about taxonomies necessarily, but going to them and talking about how we can get more products to people, gosh, their ears perk up right away there. Um, we'd sp we spent a lot of time building trust with IT uh, so that they were already fully on board with this before we even sort of officially started to, to shop around the recommendations. Uh, that was great. The process um, in this whole thing was really just as important as the results. Um, if we hadn't been able to bring people along the journey with us, um, then I don't know that they would have been as willing to listen. Uh, Gary did an excellent job at, at being able to, to listen to the, to the subject matter experts and, and really make them feel like you know, he was on their side, that you know, he wanted to help them be better at their jobs. He wanted to help us be a better company and, and, and you know, make more money. And uh, so you know, being very careful about how we um, evangelized this after we got to the recommendation piece, I think was really critical. Uh, and we were successful and were able to um, get to an implementation phase. We're able to get secure more funding to essentially start a massive project. Uh, it's going to be a multi-year project. Um, to you know, go down to the bones of that Victorian and, and, and rebuild it where it needs to be rebuilt. Um, and even in this tough economic time, I mean, we've had a lot of projects at our company get cut a lot. And this has survived. This is still surviving. This is a top priority for us. And I think um, how we got there was really being able to think about the process, think about how we communicated, think about the measurable results. Yeah, and I think the, for me, a, a big part of the success of this is, you know, I, I'd love to think that the deliverables were, were, were brilliant and well-written and not collecting dust as a dust stop right now. And they're still being used to some extent, but really a big part of this was by going through this process and going through all the stakeholders throughout this, um, it just built a lot of trust. So there weren't any surprises when we went for funding. Yeah. Um, you know, every time we had a meeting, we put the business case on the table and got feedback from people. And after a couple meetings, we had a really solid, at least preliminary draft of the business case where people said, yeah, I'm in. Or, oh, yeah, well, let's think about this little thing over here. And so it was able to constantly evolve um, until the very end of the project. And um, I think that one of the most valuable things from this project that REI got was none of my deliverables, which were brilliant, by the way. But really, it was just the fact that everyone, had, we'd all gone through this process together. Um, you know, and we all sang Kumbaya at the end, and it was just beautiful. But um, that was, I think that was a big part of it. IT was on board. Marketing understood what we were doing. Um, the business owners understood what this was going to do for them. Hey, Gary, I think we've both been talking about success factors, so I had to pull up the slide. Um, one, thing, one thing that, that I was also just thinking about, um, something we did differently, uh, is we brought Gary in in-house for 15 to 20 hours a week, right? Uh, it was full time. It was oh, about 30 full -time. hours a week for three months. Yeah. And, you know, which, which a lot of times 
agencies can't do. A lot of times, um, a lot of times even companies can't hire people to do that. But for us, it really meant that Gary could be a team member and that he could um, work with us and, you know, have lunch with people and, and not be sort of behind the black door uh, and doing magic. People saw where, where he was thinking, what he was talking about, and, and agreed. And the other success factors were I was working pretty much full-time with a really good um, business analyst, REI business analyst. And that was really important to me because it meant that when my contract was over, the knowledge was going to stay there at REI. You know, I was providing the direction for what we were doing, but you know, we talked to folks who owned owners of all the different IT systems, and we were discovering new ones every day. You know, we talked to IT, we talked to I'm marketing. still discovering new ones, Gary. Yeah. And, um, and the great thing was, that, so there's a lot of cross-pollination of knowledge going on there, and that didn't walk out the door when I left, which I think right. was really right. great. Right. We, we purposely did knowledge transfer between Gary and the business analyst so that, you know, when Gary's not around, because he's back to help us with some of the implementation phase, but, you know, that, that knowledge will continue to live on within the organization, which I think is huge. And another success factor, I think, was just REI had a really clear sense of what they wanted to do. And that just made my life a lot easier. You know, here's revenue opportunities. We really do care. We're going to talk about brand, and we really care about it. I've been in plenty of engagements where people say brand, and then, you know, if you, if it, you know, but ultimately it's revenue that's driving everything. And along with that, we spent uh, a lot of time talking to marketing. Yeah, so at the end of this, you know, the big thing was, you know, we were, there are a number of deliverables, but I really, the business case and the process of developing the business case was by far the most important thing that we did. Uh, understanding that gathering these requirements can be a huge, it can lead anywhere, right? You know, all, how do we manage our product list? Well, our product list is a core corporate asset. This could take us anywhere in the organization. Having that problem statement up front allowed us to immediately say what's in and what's out of scope and allowed us to really focus. Um, and again, align, being able to align the project with business and revenue rather than efficiency made a huge difference. And I think what was somewhat unusual in terms of an enterprise IA project is we really, what we, we talked about all the time was how this would impact customers. We didn't really talk that much, as Gary said, about operational efficiency or, or how it was going to help us internally. I mean, we certainly, that was, that was going to happen. But part of the reason I think we were able to sell this was really talking about the impact to customers and the impact to revenue and brand. And it's interesting because we were talking about, everything was about getting stuff to the customers, but almost all the recommendations were infrastructure recommendations that, allow, that would allow us to get better stuff to the customer. There weren't a lot of UI design, wireframe designs, interaction designs in the recommendations. Because um, we had done a pretty good job with that yeah. piece. This was all about how do we get a groundwork of information, how do we get an information model that's available to the design team so they can do more. So again, it was all customer focused, but the customer would not have directly seen any of the real recommendations. You know, we weren't talking about changing colors or you know, other things like that. Um, I think I just like this slide because, because, uh, uh, and again, the big thing is if you're working with the marketing team, it just it just makes life easier. They have all the money. Thanks. Thanks. Okay, we have uh, about five minutes for questions. Okay.
Um, I'm intrigued by the notion of, of a business case that's only a page and a half. And uh, you had a lot of bullets there, which seemed to me would fill up a page and a half. Uh, so part of my question is, is, is that in itself? And uh, what, are, what were the other deliverables? And, uh, and to get the executive support, um, the, the, they went on, on a, uh, for a multi-year project based on just a page and a half. Uh, that's a really good point. Yeah, there's a, there were a ton of stuff there that I said should be there. And um, some of the stuff was mentioned was mentioned directly and some of it was just was there in the background. We had uh, you know a twenty we had a recommendations document that had you know four sets of recommendations. There were probably a total of like twenty or thirty rec direct recommendations each with um, measure each with their um, success measurements involved with them. There was a uh, a, Vizio, a big Visio diagram describing the entire architecture at the functional level, not at the technical level, but here's all the systems. Here's the information they provide. Here's the metadata they have, and here's the road that it takes to get to the website. Um, and then we also had uh, a, we had a you know a, a good presentation that described what we did, which we then modified for each of the different slightly modified for the different audiences we spoke with, um, and that fueled excitement for the project. Um, and then I believe REI has a further process that that piqued everyone's imagination and said this is something we should really do and it allowed REI I believe to then go into their formal process of requesting funding. Yeah. Is that so? So that was, that was the main communication tool but you had all these supporting documents. Absol absolutely. Yeah I think, I mean, I think presenting actually was the main communications tool. I mean I, other than you know a handful of people not that many people read the business case because um, we talked about it more than anything else, but because we'd done all the homework to back it up and because people could see that we'd done all the homework, then they trusted us, trusted Gary, as Gary was saying. Oftentimes, um, you know, they always ask for the business case. I think that one of the, um, I guess, hardest things is to uh, go back to those are you know those uh, KPIs or the uh, uh, you know return on investments and and actually measure it. How, how did you, how did you guys or how does REI build that in? And are you still looking back on those? Well, same yeah, metrics? I mean, we're still in the middle of, of all of this project. Mm -hmm. It's a great question because it, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, one of the folks, um, well, the the sort of the business owner of the search and merchandising solution, you know, had all of these ROI claims and and they were you know rightly developed and everything and yeah a year later you know the the executive funding was like okay so you know prove to us how you can show that ROI so that's something that definitely along the way we have to build in the tracking with our web analytics system we have to build in the checkpoints in order to be able to to say at the end of it all yes we were able to um, increase revenue that way Uh, so I have a question. With um, legacy systems, um, there seem to be like sacred cows sometimes or just uh, individual stakeholders that have extreme yep. emotional attachment to certain internal processes and, and that kind of thing. I'm wondering if you could share with us if you encountered any such individuals and what you did to reach them. Um, you know, I, some, but I, w I think that really, and, and part of this is a cultural thing at REI, people just really believe in what we're doing. And, and that's one of the good things about working for a company where, you know, they, it's a co-op, it's member owned. Um, 
And we do a lot of things around stewardship. We do a lot of things around, you know, grants for communities to, to help kids go camping and things like that. And so people just really, you know, even if they're, they had their pet tool, they saw the bigger picture. They believed in what we were trying to do. They believed in, you know, more products to the people, basically. And that's what, and that's part of the goal of the business case, is to help get around, I mean, people love their data. I mean, some people, I believe, have unnatural relationships with their data. Um, and, but having this business case, it just short, shined a, a bright light on what we needed to do with the data. It's when they say, oh, well, we need to do this because it'll make things better. And people are like, mine. You know, um, but if you say we're going when we do this, we're gonna be able to increase revenue and we're gonna increase brand. And by the way, the VP of marketing, we're, we're VP of marketing said these are the three tenets of what we're doing this year, and this is gonna support two of them. It makes it hard. It, it makes it more difficult for those, not, not impossible, but more <laughs> more difficult for those people to re really just cling on to the, to that. Great question. One more, and then that's probably it. bit about the, uh, your, your de-emphasis on operational efficiency and um, how you tied that with um, the interaction with like business intelligence and reporting applications. Like do you, did you, you didn't package those two together, you separated them out and sold them as individual benefits or did you? Oh. Well for this we, we de-emphasized leading with that as the reason to do the project. We wanted to have business level goals for the project. So when we said, you know, customer satisfaction, you know, if, if the issue was we're missing a whole bunch of revenue opportunities here, I'm always going to lead with that. The impact, the results, but if you looked at our recommendations document, you'd see almost all of them, well, at least three quarters of them, were around um, operational issues, changing back-end systems, changing infrastructure. So, you know, the business goal wins the day, but again, I could have made, the, I could have, made the same set of recommendations just saying all oh, this is going to improve operational efficiency because we've got all these old systems. But and I don't think it would have gotten funded. Right, and that's, a, my question is, is the, I guess I'm more interested in the, the BI reporting side of things. Did you find that your executive sponsors are more interested in those, um, like the, the interconnections between those systems? Do you find that they're, they're interested in that data, the new data that can be provided by the new infrastructure? They just cared about the money, really. On this project, um, it wasn't as big a factor. I have definitely worked on other projects where I've been able to lead with BI stuff because the right people are reading, are, are interacting with that. You know, again, in this case, marketing was driving revenue. BI can also be a very important one. Business, business intelligence, business analytics um, can be a big one as well because that will roll up to the CFO, and the CFO is a good person to ask for money. Um, so. Great. Thanks, everyone. Uh, the um, handouts will be over here on the table if anyone wants one. And um, thanks you very much. Thanks. To hear even more presentations from the 2009 IA Summit, point your browser to boxesandarrows.com and click on the podcast link. There you'll find access to the iTunes feed and more information about each presentation. Our heartfelt thanks to the organizers and sponsors of the 10th Annual IA Summit, the presenters, and of course to the global community. We look forward to feedback about future episodes that will be of greatest value to you, our listeners. <laughs>